Lord Jesus, I love you so much. God, I just give you glory tonight. I pray that your word is heard tonight, Lord Jesus. I pray that you, your people hear your voice tonight, uh, that their lives can change, um, that their eyes can be open, their hearts can be open, Lord God, uh, to whatever it is that you have for them, Lord God, because we know that uh, when you speak um, through preaching, Lord God, that you can speak directly to an individual, but you can also speak to the whole church corporately, Lord God. And that is just the amazingness of you, um, that your words will be heard no matter what. In your holy name, Lord, amen. So we're going to go through some verses here. So uh, we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19 through 21. It says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness or confidence to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Now, Because we know and understand what the death of Jesus Christ means and the forgiveness of sin that it brings to us, we can boldly and confidently enter into God's presence personally. So you've heard him talk about Jesus being the high priest and the connection of the high priest being the only one who can go into the holy of holies and offer these uh, sacrifices to God. And he's saying, now we can have confidence and boldness to enter into that holy of holies because Jesus Jesus' sacrifice, because his uh, blood was shed, um, and, and that is uh, for us, and that we can have confidence in that, uh, because he is our high priest. And he says, let us draw near. So now that we have access to God himself through Christ Jesus, what are we waiting for? You don't need to wait on the outside or stand at a distance. Imagine if you were someone uh, there, you, you're at this... Um, the festival and they're making the sacrifices and bringing the blood in and you see the that the, there's the high priest over there and you're watching him go into the tent and and you can only imagine the things that he's doing once he gets in there and all the symbolic things and everything like that and you're standing outside the tent just hoping that it sticks one more year god one more year just forgive us now imagine you get to go directly into the tent and directly into the presence yourself because of jesus christ why would you wait? What are you hanging out outside for? You're waiting for somebody to handwrite you an invitation? Well, they have, so let's go. You don't need to wait. You can draw near. My first point tonight is rest assured through Christ you have been made worthy. Um, my father led his father, my grandfather, to Christ. My dad was in his 40s. My grandpa was in his 60s. Um, I saw that as kind of a bold move because I think sometimes we get a point uh, in our lives where we feel like it's too late for certain things. Um, you know, a six-year-old man may seem set in his ways, and you may seem disqualified as the son, the junior, to say, hey, guess what, Dad? I got something to share with you. But my dad did it. Um, he invited it as him to some church events. Um, then when my grandpa wanted to know more, my dad walked him through this study of understanding salvation. My dad had a process. I think it's called first steps. I think it's a MacArthur thing. My dad was a big MacArthur fan. And so he used to take him through this study and you meet every week and you'd uh, read Bible verses and look through things that all was basically like what the Bible said was the pathway towards salvation through Jesus Christ. 
So there was none of this like casual, I hope we could spark a conversation over coffee, hope we can get through the small talk and time to tell them about Jesus. It was like, no, we're meeting on purpose specifically to teach you what salvation is and why you need to give your life to Christ. So he's doing that with my grandfather. Over time, I'm not exactly sure how many weeks it is, but the little pamphlet's only about that big. So I don't know, it can't be that long. But my dad had a process. And at the end, it was, at the end of this whole study, it always ended with a question. It would end with, considering what we have been talking about, is there any reason why you can't believe, repent, and be saved right now? The closer. (laughs) Coffee. He gets coffee. Because coffee is for closers only. Like how many times have you been in that conversation where you're trying to lead somebody in a particular direction? I don't know. If you're in sales, you probably would say every single day. And you get right up to the point. You've explained all the good things, all the principles of it. They're like, yeah, yeah, this sounds really, really good. But you never ask the question. You never close the deal. Like you're waiting for them to just come along. My dad didn't let that happen. He calls the question. Okay, we're at this point. We've explained everything. You've agreed to everything. Is there any reason why you can't give your life to Jesus right now? And my dad asked the question to my grandfather. And my grandfather looked up at my dad with tears in his eyes. And he said to him, I'm not worthy. And so my dad, he's a little bit goofy, he just kind of chuckled at him and said, Dad, that's exactly the point. Then he showed my grandpa my dad's favorite Bible verse. My dad's favorite Bible verse was Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In verse 6 it says, when we were utterly helpless. I mean, that, what, a, what a powerful verse of recognizing that even though you are not worthy, the blood of Jesus Christ makes you worthy. While you are an enemy of God, Christ died for you. You can't, it doesn't get much worse than that. You were his enemy, utterly helpless, and Christ died for you, said that you could have reconciliation with God and be, and have salvation through Jesus Christ. Grandpa was right, he wasn't worthy, but Jesus made him worthy through the sacrifice. It says, so draw near to God in confidence that you will be accepted into his presence because you have been saved and forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Rest assured, Christ has made you worthy. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from the, uh, from the evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with water. Draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. My father walked in full assurance of salvation until the day he died. Um, it's... There, there's a, there's a few sayings you've probably heard of. One saying that I always think of is, um, virtue not tested is no virtue at all. So basically that means you can say all, everything you want about what you would do and, and what you stand for, but when the pressure's on and it really counts, that's when it, that's when it really matters what you do. You could say anything you want, but it doesn't really mean anything until it really counts. So my dad got saved in, uh, when he was 39. And he died when he was 70, I want to say like 74, 75. He died in 2017, 74, because it was before December. Um, and so uh, that last about nine months of his life was that kind of downward staircase that you see. Like there's a point 
in typically when people are going to die, unless you die suddenly, there's this point where it tips over, where from there it just never goes back up again. Something bad happens, maybe it's a hip, or for him he had uh, heart problems and kidney problems, and it just starts stair-stepping down. Every time they hit the hospital, it just get weaker and weaker. So that last nine months, we knew it was coming. He knew it was coming. And he just would read his Bible, and he wanted to talk about Jesus. And uh, he, he was all about it. Um, he wasn't saved my whole life, but that's the only version of my dad that I remember. So there's hope for you and your kids. You can still turn things around. You may think you're a bad example now, but get saved, get your life right. And then one day he'll be standing up on stage telling a bunch of people how his dad was such a good Christian. He walked in full assurance of his faith. I remember that... Uh, this is another thing that takes boldness is so I know he's going to die and he knows he's going to die. So all of a sudden it set the stage for some really good conversations. I found the courage to ask some things that I'd never asked him before. Cause I mean, what's the harm? You know, <laughs> when am I going to offend him now? It seems a little late for that. So uh, we would have, we had these great conversations about, uh, I would ask him hard conversations about, uh, what things were like when we were growing up with his uh, relationships and his job and his health and my grandparents and all sorts of things like that. I mean, shoot, at the last couple of weeks, I'm planning his memorial service. He wanted me to do his memorial service. I said, you want me to give the eulogy? He's like, no, I want you to do the whole memorial service. I'm like, okay, well, let me take some notes here on my phone because... <laughs> And he had it all laid out and he knew what uh, worship songs he wanted to sing at the thing. And, and he wanted me to make, he wanted to make sure that I was going to do an altar call and make sure people had an opportunity to give their life to Christ. He was all about it. Hebrews chapter four, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain the mercy and find grace to help us in times of need. My father was assured of his salvation, and he was ready to go. If you've been forgiven, start believing it. Walk it in confidence and be assured of your faith. If you've been forgiven and you've given your life to Jesus Christ, walk in that. The Bible says that you are forgiven and you are saved. Jesus Christ is the most powerful thing. He created everything. And he says that you are saved because of his sacrifice, because of his blood. So walk in that. Be assured of that. Don't let anyone talk you out of your assurance of your salvation. If you have, with a true heart, accepted you are a sinner, repented and were forgiven, and received the Holy Spirit, you are saved. The book is closed. You're in it. Good job. You did it. I'm glad you're excited about it, Pastor. You guys are stunned. Believe me, I'm telling you the truth. It's, it's okay to be excited about it. Don't listen to a non-believer who wants to poke holes in it and plant seeds of doubt. I think, I don't, well, all, all kinds of people do it. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it's human nature that when somebody believes something different than the group, uh, the group wants to poke holes in it and make it not true. 
And I think it, it comes from a sense of feeling threatened. So if, if you are assured of your salvation and you have hope for a future and you believe in a big powerful God that can do all things, and I'm over here and I don't believe that, then instinctually I think I want to pop that balloon. Because your salvation and your assurance in that and your hope is a little bit threatening to somebody who doesn't have any hope. And it's tuning in to the evening news to try to figure out what they're going to do with their life that day. How they're supposed to feel about their existence. When you have joy in all circumstances, this is a really weird position to be in. So I think you'll find, if you haven't already, that when you start to share your faith, that non-believers are going to start trying to poke holes and pull little snags in it and plant seeds of doubt um, in it. But don't listen to a believer who wants to add more yokes of bondage on top of it and create fear and doubt in you either. That you're not saved enough. That, ah, it's, what's funny is like, and, and I, we all watch different things on YouTube, but I get trapped up in these things about uh, diets and, and healthy eating. And you've seen those ones where it's like this guy, he's completely shredded eating a piece of pizza. And he's like, I bet you thought I'd be eating lettuce. Let me tell you the seven reasons why you're not meeting your fitness goals. He's throwing broccoli out of the way. And he's like, come on. You're like, really? Like I can eat pizza and look like this dude? Click. <laughs> but this is what I've noticed about the internet. Is you can find a video that will reinforce whatever you want to think and believe. You will find a whole bunch of credible, like well-produced videos starring doctors and scientists and nutritionists that say this is exactly what you're supposed to do and eat. And then you'll find all the most same credible scientific studies, data related, correlated, saying the exact opposite thing. So you're kind of left in the middle, like, well, what am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to listen to? So if you're a Christian and you've got this group of Christians over here, like, no way, you're doing it all wrong. Why would you eat all those vegetables? You want to be healthy? Oh, you need to eat this and buy my pack of whatever powder that's going to make you even better. It's better than vegetables. My point is, is that you're going to find people like that who have deciphered some kind of special religiosity code that they think that you need to be, uh, you know, even more saved than you already are. And, and I hate that feeling of creating fear and doubt. I hate walking around after I watch two hours of YouTube feeling even more confused and fearful and worthless than I did when I started. I just wanted a good vegan fried rice recipe. And now I feel like I've wasted my life. It's terrible. Metaphorically, don't let that happen to you as a Christian, okay? Psalms 118.8, it is better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in man. That is a true statement, is it not? My second point is this, hold fast so that you won't be swept out to sea in the storm. Hold fast, hold fast. It's a traditional sailor tattoo. Basically, it's a tribal tattoo. Because to me, a tribal tattoo at its core is one that is specific to a culture and has deep meaning and usually represents life's journey. Did you see that picture of the, with the hold fast? Yeah, see, like uh, that's a sailor's hands and the tattoo on his knuckles. Hold fast. 
Tattoos have been around for thousands of years and found in every culture around the world. Every time they dig up some old body, they're finding like some ink pressed into the skin. I mean, some, the Iceman in wherever they found that Iceman dude and defrosted him. Egyptians. Somehow, on islands strewn thousands of miles apart all over the oceans, everybody seemed to figure out the tattoo thing. And they all got their own patterns and everything. There's all specific reasons. And if you want to get all judgy and start like being offended on behalf of somebody's tribe and culture because somebody else has a tattoo you think looks like it, you need to like understand the difference between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation. And if you don't know what all the symbols mean, then you should just like keep it to yourself. Go watch a YouTube video, hopefully the right YouTube video. Each tribe has their patterns and meanings. It all means something. Traditional Japanese tattoos uh, began because uh, the Japanese used to tattoo their prisoners with whatever crime they committed. So in order to like operate in regular society, you got to kind of cover that tattoo up. Otherwise, everybody's going to be like, oh, that dude's a thief. That dude's a murderer. So the next thing you know, you've got these huge bodysuits full of tattoos to cover up the criminal tattoos. But interestingly enough, having lots of tattoos in Japan, it makes, it's like a sign of the Yakuza, like organized crime. So, like, in Japan, tattoos are a sign of criminality and untrustworthiness. I know, right? But it's part of the, how it works. I mean, look at prisons, look at gangs, look at the military. Everybody's got their little tribe and they've got all their tattoos that are associated with their tribe and their culture. You'll see it in any uh, homogenous group like that. And sailors are no different. Sailor tattoos. A swallow on the chest is uh, 5,000 nautical miles. That's what it represents. So if you see some 18-year-old who's got a couple of swallows on his chest like that, swooping inward, they did not travel 10,000 nautical miles to earn those tattoos they appropriated that <laughs> a fully rigged ship you know with the big sails and and the masts and the big rigged ship that uh that symbolizes that you traveled around uh cape horn the, the bottom part of south america there that's where the pacific ocean and the atlantic ocean meet and it's like super turbulent and thousands of sailors have died there so if you made it around the horn then Get yourself a big old rigged ship on your chest like this. And then people will know. A rooster on one foot and a pig on another foot. Have you ever seen this before? This is a sailor tattoo. Some people have. Yeah, they have. Uh, it's a talisman against drowning. Because these animals were shipped in crates that floated. So often, they were the only ones who survived the shipwreck. So naturally... If you want to survive a shipwreck, get a pig tattooed on one foot and a rooster tattooed on the other. That's all you need to do. A nautical star so a sailor could find their way home and hold fast on their knuckles as a reminder to hold tight to the riggings and to the ship and that you can endure any storm or trouble at sea. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Be unwavering, persevere, show some grit. 
Believe your Bible. God's word does not change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you're looking for something that you can count on, if you're looking for a firm foundation through all these things that change around us, Jesus Christ is that. Believe it. Read your Bible. Believe it. Um, I was looking through, uh, and so you guys know the story of Job, right? We talked a little bit about it on Sunday, I believe, right? This Sunday we talked a little bit about Job. So the, the, the brief synopsis on, on Job is Job was doing everything right, and he was good in God's sight. And then the devil wanted to prove to God that Job was only uh, being obedient to God because everything was blessed in his life and everything was going great. So God's like, well... Yeah, we, we can we can figure this out. And so then uh, the devil made everything go wrong in Job's life. Just his loved ones died. And it's everything, everything horrible that you can think of right now that happened to Job. And so Job is in a tough spot, you know, like emotionally and mentally. It's a hard season for him. And so that we see in Job chapter two, verses nine and ten. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Like cursing God and dying would be better at this point is his wife's point. Why are you holding fast to your integrity even under this stuff? And verse 10 says, but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. And Job says, if we're going to accept the good things of God, we can't also accept adversity in our lives. It's such a great uh, example or a thought that that and I think here's one of the things about I mean, I guess you could say the first world or America specifically, at least, is that, you know, the reason why people are so much happier in two thirds of the world that are living just uh, without all of this wealth and material stuff that we have, they're happier because they know that life sucks all the time. So when something good happens, they're thankful and they praise God for it. They didn't get murdered on the way to church today. You think they're singing, right? When they get into church, they're excited. The sun came out. They're like, praise the Lord. The livestock didn't die. We give God glory. And we're over here with the smallest little thing because our reality in our minds is that if everything doesn't go perfectly, then we're accursed. We're being punished. Why, God, why did my pipes break? Because your house is old. It's for somebody in here today. Because your house was old. You think somebody living in a grass hut on the other side of the world is worrying about their pipes breaking? Let me tell you, they're not. Because they don't have any pipes. If they had a pipe, they'd be like, praise God, I got a pipe that can break. We get our perspective shifted. We're not paying attention. The storms will come. So tattoo God's promises on your heart and you will emerge stronger. Do you realize when you go through hard things, you come out stronger? When you go through something hard and you put all your faith and trust in the Lord, when you come out of it, you're, you're even more encouraged and strengthened in the Lord. Because you know next time you go through something, you have even more faith and assurance that the Lord's going to see you through it. Yeah, that's true. It's in here. I read it. 
Psalms 91 verses 1 and 2 says this. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, I will, in him I will trust. And Psalms 51, uh, 57, 1. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your rings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed. God has saved you, and you know this. Hold fast to your confession of faith and your testimony. Don't get talked out of it. Don't get reasoned down on it. If you ever start feeling like uh, you don't uh, you don't have that kind of strength of conviction anymore, it's probably because you're not reading your Bible. When you stop reading your Bible and you stop coming to church, you start forgetting those things. It's natural. It just happens. It doesn't matter how impactful the circumstances. When you are going away from that and you're pulling away from it, you'll start forgetting the details. Why do you think women have more than one baby? If they remembered that stuff, you'd all be only children. And we would not have a social security problem. We wouldn't. So stay close to the Lord. Stay in your word. Stay in the fellowship of other Christians. My third point is this. Selfish sailors sink ships. Say that with me. Selfish sailors sink ships. Faster. Selfish sailors sink ships. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in, in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Sailing a, sailing a ship or serving the Lord in a church takes teamwork for us to survive the storms. You can't pilot the ship alone. Even if you're Captain Jack Sparrow, you still need to take some unwitting accomplice with you on the ship if you're going to steal it. Am I the only one who saw that movie? No? I think it's PG-13. Don't judge me. It's a good movie. He's got a Sparrow tattoo. What do you think that means? Five thousand nautical miles. You need to re-listen to this when we get back. <laughs> you can't do it alone. I know we have this kind of lone wolf, lone wolf solitary culture in America, but I'll tell you why that is. Because we got hurt. We are not designed to be alone. We're designed to be in groups. We're designed to support each other in a social structure. That's how God created us. The reason why we all just want to be loners and alone is because we've all been hurt. and We don't want to get hurt again. So if you have that loner frame of mind and mentality, figure out how you got hurt and give it to the Lord. Because you need to get healed and then come back into community. We're not designed to be alone. And you can't pilot the ship by yourself. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, uh, for if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? 
Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a a threefold cord is not quickly broken. This, This scripture is describing how the more you are together, the stronger you become. That one can be broken, pulled away from the herd, and destroyed. But you got three people together, it's going to take an awful lot to overpower those three. Selfish sailors sink ships. It means that if you don't do your part and help others do their part, um, it it means that if you uh, don't do your part and help others do their part, as they are swept away by the sea, you will be alone. So if you're not helping uh, others, if you're not uh, drawing others in and building others up uh, because you're trying to protect yourself, you got both hands on the ship holding on tight. When the wave comes up, it's going to sweep them off the ship. And then you'll be alone on the ship. And what did we just discuss? You can't do it alone. The ship will sink and you'll go down with it. You're not helping yourself by protecting yourself from everybody else. Don't become isolated. They need you as much as you need them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 11. Therefore, comfort or encourage each other and edify or build up one another just as you are also doing. Just as you also are doing. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. Pay attention to this one. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but uh, but what is good for necessary edification or building up, that they may impart grace to the hearer. I, I, that verse is a good one, and it's a good reminder for me because I can be kind of critical. And I think especially guys, girls probably do it too. But we get in this game where we try to um, like take jabs and... And uh, I guess we're trying to humble somebody else. It makes us feel better. That's what they say when you're a kid, that people say mean things to you, say mean things to others because it makes you makes you feel like it makes you feel better. But for some reason, it's just kind of a natural thing. We're always like poking fun at somebody, taking jabs at them. You know, they got a bad haircut that day and you're like, oh, someone got a haircut. (laughs) You're saying it to be mean, right? You're saying it to tear it down. But in the Christian community, as Christian brothers and sisters, the Bible clearly says, don't let corrupt words proceed out of your mouth. Only things that are necessary for building somebody else up, something that brings them grace. You know what? I, uh, it's easy to think of the bad things. And, uh, and I think sometimes because I feel like I'm a very critical person, you don't see it because I hide it pretty well, I think most of the time. Um, but I can be very critical on the inside. So when I'm being really critical of somebody and I don't like what they said or they're, they're, they're being irritating to me, I try to remember to tell myself, well, think of something good that you like. Because we don't hear enough good things from each other. We hear a lot of bad things. And, and if you watch TV or anything like that, it seems like it's almost like a competition to see who could say the worst thing or be the meanest to somebody else. It's, it's like, uh, it's, I don't know, like a, the Olympics. It's like the Olympics of hurting people's feelings, I guess. I'm not really sure uh, what the purpose of it is. But I tell myself if when somebody's being really annoying, I try to think of something genuine that, that I like about them, or, you know, maybe they're wearing a shirt that I like that day, or maybe they did get a nice haircut or something. I try to think of something good and positive, and then I try to say it to them. And it changes your heart so quickly when you're like, oh, they're so annoying, but I really like their coat today. Um, is that a good one? 
You know what? They did a really good job last week at church. I'm going to tell them that one. Hey, you know, I just wanted to let you know that last week, yeah, man, you killed it at church. It was great. And then they just go, oh, well, thanks. And then everybody wins, right? You build up. Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. I'm willing to bet that most people that you see that are walking around being upset or annoyed or grumbly are hurting and they could really use you saying something nice to them at the store. Well, maybe not now at the store because you probably get attacked for, you know, trying to get too close to somebody without wearing a mask. But when this all ends and before this, you can see somebody like, you know, frustrated at the store or stomping around or angry in line and you could Give them a good word and say something nice and assume that they're not just trying to be mean, but that they're hurting, you know, good word. We should do that to, to each other in church, build each other up, uh, give you, give each other encouraging words. But there is an axiom that sailors say too that says one hand for you and one hand for the ship. This means that for you to help your shipmate. You must be holding fast to the ship first. So imagine this, right? You're not holding on to your ship. You're not grounded. You're not ready to go. And your buddy's about to get swept off the ship. So you reach out and grab them. Where do you think you're going? Whoop, right off the ship. So you need to be holding on already. You're already holding on and grounded. And then when your buddy's going to go off the course, off the wrong way, you can reach out and grab them. And now you're anchored. And you're holding fast. That's the only way you're going to help them. You're not going to help them by being off the rails yourself. You're not going to be able to help your buddy out of his awful situation. If you're not squared away your heart with the Lord first. Think of it like uh, the human chain. This thing is something. I love this idea. I don't know who thought of it. But I see it uh, happening time and again. When somebody is drowning out in the ocean. Or they're like stuck in a raging river. And you get like 20 people to all like join together for the same cause. Arm in arm. Hand in hand. This big human chain to reach out and save somebody. Any one of those people individually is going to be swept out and become a victim themselves. But because they're anchored together and someone is rooted on firm soil on the beach or or wherever on the riverbank and they're all holding together, they can all save somebody else. But if they're not holding together, if they're not staying together as a team and working together, they're all going to be lost. They'd all be swept away in the storm. First, you must be grounded in the truth. Read your Bible. Stay in the church community. You can't expect it to stay grounded if you're floating out there in the world. You're going to keep floating further away. You're going to start forgetting more and more of what God's promises were for you. Stay together. Stay. Hold fast to each other. And then that way you can pull other people into. So our verse today, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25 says this. Therefore, brethren, having boldness or confidence to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with 
um, pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another as so much more as you see the day approaching. Jesus is coming back soon. Are you ready? It's closer now than it's ever been. It is. It's closer now than it's ever been. Are you ready? So considering what we've been talking about, is there any reason that you can't believe, repent, and be saved right now? Why don't you bow your heads? There's no better time than in church with a bunch of believers to give your life to Jesus Christ. So if you're here in this place today, and you're getting swept out to sea, and you need to give your life to Jesus Christ, and need to be forgiven, and want to repent of that, this is your place. First time, never done it before, but tonight's your night. If that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, we want to pray with you. So if that's you, you just raise your hand at me and let me know that's you today. You want to give your life to Jesus. First time ever. And maybe you're in this place today and you've been feeling swept out. You've been feeling uh, adrift and you need to come back uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ today. Your life's been off the rails and you need to come back to the Lord today. Make today your day. Make today the day that you come back to the Lord. Come back to the community of faith. Hold fast to the promises he's given you. If that's you today, then you need to do that today. Do not delay. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you so much. Lord God, uh, we just thank you so much for your forgiveness and your grace, Lord God. We know we can't do it without you. Give us the strength to hold fast, Lord God. And remember the hope and assurance we have in you. In your holy name, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Go get your kids. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.